I want to welcome my friend that I have not seen in a while, but very excited news. This is Joe Hand. Joe is moving back to Music City. So welcome, Joe Hand. And I would say you wear many, many hats. You are a musician. You are a producer. You are an engineer. You are a normal bon vivant. You are a performer. And um, you've been living in Florida. And like, just tell us about yourself. And tell us how, how well, recount how we met. I mean, I know the story, but it's but, better when you tell it. Oh, Cl- the Cliff Notes version of the story. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm born in New York, born in Astoria. Queens! And Queens! And, uh, uh, but we but no accent? Uh, no, well, only when I get upset. Uh, does the accent come out? <laughs> I guess I have never seen you upset. <laughs> you I, oh, it's very rare. I got a long fuse. I, it, it takes a lot. You're to a patient. Me. You're a patient guy. It, it takes a lot to get me upset. Uh, but as far as I moved, my family moved me to South Florida. I grew up in South Florida all my school age years. I was the musician. I loved music. I loved music. I played piano. I played bass. I played saxophone. I played flute. I played whatever instrument I could get my hands on. And were your parents musicians, or they just exposed you to music? Uh, no, they just exposed me to music. My mother plays guitar and piano now, but you know, back then it was just very simple folk music. You know, and my dad was the you know he was the Buddy Holly, Glenn Campbell guy. Like he loved that stuff was playing. Oh, my yeah. dad and Pop. my mom loved like Anne Marie and you know John Denver. And oh, like nice, that. more mellow so, stuff. Yeah, you know Engelbert Humperdinck and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So my whole upbringing was that kind of music being played, uh-huh. hearing that in the house, and being in church. My, 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 we were in church, so early on, me and my siblings and my mom played at the church. We played Catholic Mass. Catholic that's Mass. Like, that's what, like, we, were, we were there just, you know, Onward Christian mass. soldiers. So and, we, uh-huh. and so we were doing, you know, the folk music of the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. And there's my older brother who played guitar, and I played keyboard, and my mom played guitar, and my little sister sang, and my little brother. Really. So early on, it was church music, and that's Just like the Partridge family, yeah, we, except it was we the Hand family. totally... Partridge family. Love it. Dad drove, you know, it's like... <laughs> I love it. I love it. Was it was piling out with the guitars and the little amplifier for the keyboard and stuff. So hysterical. when you said, I want to go to music school, nobody said, no, you can't go. They, oh, weren't, they weren't trying to no. make you into an attorney or anything. Oh, no. My dad, uh, here's a... Uh, the, 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 what made me a musician was an, uh, an event with my dad. My dad's an air conditioning mechanic. Mm-hmm. And he's in his 80s and he's still an air conditioning mechanic. He just loves love to fix it. things. Love he it. loves to fix things. You know, get out of the house. Oh, could he please move into my house? <laughs> could he please? <laughs> and uh, and so my dad, you know, my, my dad didn't hardly speak very much at home. You know, I didn't. <laughs> my mom, you know, she was the, the entertainer, the talker. And so my uh, my dad, I went to work with my dad. Okay. On an air conditioning job when I was maybe 13, I forget, or 14. He said, hey, I'll pay you to be my helper. I got this old Florida attic. I can't fit in it. You're skinny enough. You can fit in the attic, and you can repair ductwork. So I was in an old Florida <clears throat> attic. At Which like was, 13. I was hotter than blazes, I'm it, sure. Well, it's hot here today in Nashville, but it's it, 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 it was like had to be 120, 130. An attic in, in Florida? And like one of those. Like, crawl space. Yeah, it's basically a crawl space. And oh, I my God. And I barely get in there. And some rats or something had eaten through the, the, the uh, you know, the, the ductwork. Yeah, so yeah. my dad taught me, here's how you fix ductwork. Here's how you repair ductwork. You need a little plastic tool and you, and you fix with a duct tape and this and that and the other and repair and you cut the section out. And so I, so with the, you know, whatever is up there from the rats and the critters or 
whatever, and the bugs and the and the and the and the heat and the old insulation that had been up there cooking oh, or whatever. God. And I come so after a couple hours of work. You're up there for two hours. I was up there for an hour or so. Stop it. And then I came down and I had to go back up because I, I told my dad, I'm like, I got to come down. I got to I, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so I had to come down. because You're I was like, just, I'm coming down. I, I'm calling OSHA. <laughs> right. So I come down and I go back upstairs and, and I, I finish the job and come down. And I'm covered in sweat and insulation and whatever. Itchy bug. and oh my, right? disgusting. I'm sitting there. Was it like the pink insulation? That It was that old pink, yeah, yellow yeah. at the time. Yellow. Right? Oh, and, goodness. And, and my dad sees me just miserable. And he looks at me. He says, son, don't take over the family business. Do something else. And a musician was born that day. And I wanted to be inside, in the air conditioning, playing music. That was like, from then on And picking up chicks. Well, I love the music. You know, I was just a scrawny little nothing of a kid. And MTV had just come out. Yeah, there we go. So I was watching what you were doing. Yeah. And so I was a... Thank you for watching. I I was a thorough MTV kid. But I loved the studio show. Yeah, yeah. When they would show, because you didn't have many videos to show. We did not. Right? And how did that happen? How did... did We begged for videos. I mean, we had videos from um, international artists. Right. Men at at work and uh, Bowie, uh, Flock of Seagulls. um, Are you a Speedwagon? Well, they finally, you know, they were were U.S. But the, the Eurythmics had videos. But um, they had something called video jukeboxes throughout the rest of the world. We didn't have those. Mm-hmm. So they had video outlets. They had video television shows. They had these jukeboxes. U.S. didn't have that. So I've told this story before. We needed videos, and we needed 24 hours of videos, and we needed advertising. So MTV wasn't available in New York or L.A., which is where the music companies were. <laughs> so you're trying to convince the record labels and Madison Avenue, you know, it was hard. Believe me, it was not a slam dunk right away. Uh, the good thing was, is that if you were Dexy's Midnight Rider, you got a lot of airplay, you know, or if you were the Buggles, you got a lot of airplay because we didn't have a lot of videos. And then, probably somewhat to fill space, we started doing what was called interstitial programming. And we had Alan Hunter and Nina Blackwood and J.J. Jackson and Mark Goodman interviewing people. I loved it. Which was way cool. And that I wasn't happening. Every morsel. That was not happening before. That was like really fresh and new. You know, you look back and you're like, well, not so much. But back at the t- at the time, it was pretty cool. Or they were in the studio with somebody or whatever. Exactly. And I'm just a tad older than you were. So it was sort of like, pinch me, I'm standing next to Billy Joel. Pinch me, I'm standing next to Paul Simon. You know, like I just didn't want to do something stupid or trip or whatever. And you never gotten photographs. You would never say, oh, excuse me, Mr. Simon, can I please take a photo? Or can I please? There were no, wasn't a thing. There were no selfies. You get fired if you ask for an autograph. I mean, you know, so I was just like, if, I, if I'm really... Like, do my job and don't piss anybody off. Maybe they'll let me stay in the room. You know, it was one of those deals. So that was... I watched every morsel of that. Bless you. I and ate it up. I love it. People but, got addicted. But what happened was I would see the guys in the studio watching the police in the recording studio. Yeah. I'm watching Oreo Speedwagon in the recording studio. I'm watching Rush. I'm watching uh, Billy Joel or whatever yeah. doing something. And I'm like, I want to do that. You know, so I'm sitting there 12 years old knowing exactly where I want to be. Sure. I want to be in a recording studio with these guys making, making music. Yeah. I want to do that. And so I, that was my 
singular focus. So now, are you in Florida now? I'm in Florida trying to transition back here or split my time because I... No, but let's stay on this, stay on this. You're in Florida and you're watching MTV. Okay, so I'm watching MTV. And you're you're getting... Okay, so MTV had launched back in the 80s and then you watch that, you get through high school and then what happens? High school, um, the high school I was at was very fertile for music. We Uh had a lot of kids who could play. So a lot of my friends, the people we were hanging out, I had a band, we played the roller skating rink, or, you know, Love the, it. various things. And it was Joe's Diner. And Love it. knew Joe's Diner. So my brother and I and, and uh, uh, Lance McDonald, we started, they were all older than me. What a cool name. And so it was Joe's Diner. I'm going to resurrect it at some point. No, that's it's, a great idea. And if I, if I have a band, you know, anywhere here, I'm going to call it Joe's Diner. And we would just play whatever we felt like it. And so you played cover stuff. Cover stuff. We didn't do any originals, but we had a good time, and I was young, and it got me so the bars. So co- cover and like rock and roll stuff. Yeah, anything from uh, Jay Giles Band to okay. uh, Sticks to whatever you know. And 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 at the time, uh, they you were lead. A, well, they gave me a microphone because nobody else wanted to sing, you know. So Lance would sing some songs. My brother was like, I'm not going to hear my phone. And so I was it kind of by default. And so I got a couple keyboards, and I would, we would play like Genesis, and I would play like the keyboards. And, and then I would, I would play bass, and then I would, you know, they would, I would play saxophone on a song every so often. Get out of here. And so when those guys kind of graduated to other things, I kept the band going and got some other guys that were more my age, and we had... Uh, uh, Bill Brewer and Christy Sundberg, because we got so Christy. this is in like yeah. high school. Yeah, this is high school, but all these people, they could play. So Christy Sundberg, you would love Christy, and she's out in Arizona, I think, and she could play guitar, she could play trumpet, she could sing, and so it wasn't like we need a girl in the band that is you know to 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 be the front girl. We we're like this girl can play. Yeah, she you know? can. Yeah. So she, we were doing Kansas and Rush and Genesis and Journey and stuff in oh high school. God, I love. And it. these guys, these kids could play. And were you like doing paid gigs? We no, but we would go play at the high school events and whatever rose gigs. But it, it was, I was surrounded even when I was young by people who could play. Yeah. So it, it, I was spoiled right from the get-go. So yeah. when I would go to places and there were musicians that were better than me, I wasn't intimidated. I was, I was like, sign me up. I want to be the worst guy in the room. Let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me be in the mix, you know. Get Good. Me. I love it. So when I went to college, I, uh, University of Miami <coughs> wanted me and uh, University of North Texas and North Florida and all the different music schools wanted me because I had all these awards. I played classical piano, so Sue Colbert was my teacher. And so I won some of these classical piano competitions as a teenager. So I was getting all these offers. Wow. But there was a group that came in from Berkeley to our high school. Uh-huh. Because we had the top jazz band in the state. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I was playing bass in this jazz band. And they went, we want that guy. And so I, my parents, my mother, somehow, we had relatives up north. And we went to Boston. And I walked into Berkeley and I said, I'm oh, home. God. And you gotta love Boston. I just—it's one of my fave cities. I haven't been there in a while, but it was amazing. Did you I, love it? I was dead broke, and but Berkeley had given me a half scholarship. At there the you time. go. And that was enough to get me there. And and I met all these guys, had a band, and started writing songs. But I wanted to be in the studios, and Berkeley was one of those places that had a studio program mm. in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So I 
hung out in the recording studios and wanted to be in that more than anything. So did you get a music engineering degree? Is that what you did? Okay. So I have a minor in arranging and performance, if you look at my okay. credits. Because your pedigree. Studied, you know, but because I like all of it. I want to do all of it. But I wanted it to be primarily in the studio. That was my... Ever since watching what you did on MTV, <laughs> that's what oh I my gosh. you're the blame. You you are to blame. I've for heard that. that many times <laughs> in my life. So that's what I that's what I did. And when I got out of college, we had the band Grunge landed. We weren't grunge. No, did you so stay in Boston? I st- uh, after college, we went to Canada for two years. So the drummer was from Canada. So I, st- oh. I lived in Toronto for two years. Played Queen okay. Street West, all that stuff. El Macombo, all that stuff down there. What a cool place to, to it live. It was great, but not the right personal situation. Uh, and then grunge there's landed. There's that. That always happens. <laughs> but grunge landed, and we didn't have a prayer to yeah. get signed because everybody wanted grunge. And we're four guys out of music school. Yeah. <laughs> we're not playing guitars out of tune and, you know, we, we weren't thrashing around or destroying equipment. We were trying to do, you know, pop No safety stuff. pins in your ears or Nothing, nose or we, anything? There was zero about us that was... <laughs> Wanted by the record labels, zero. <laughs> we were we were twenty two and done. <laughs> you know? so I moved you were already nerds. <laughs> I, I moved back to South Florida and I started a little recording studio and worked for churches and stuff. Okay. Did that for a bunch of years. Got married and then, um, at a certain point, I knew South Florida was not the place for me. Not doing this anymore. And I went. I want to be where the music is. I want to be where the real people are. And an opportunity. But why Nashville? Why not L.A. or New York? Um, I had been to L.A., I'd been to New York, a little overwhelmed by both, yeah. even though I was born in New York. Sure. And I had traveled through uh-huh. Nashville, and this is 99, so Nashville wasn't like booming, it's not like, you know. And I went, this is cool. It's a big enough place, but a small enough place. Big, small town. So, the little big town, right? I worked on their, one of their first records. Oh, I love them. Oh, so my God. I think I, I, I was editing stuff for... Paul when he when he was producing them that first record I think you're digressing so yeah. circle back <laughs> so you get a random random thought. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the people you work with okay so you so you pack up and you move to Music we, City we moved to Music City I I knew uh, two people I had come here once before as a guest of Bill Catino at Capitol and he introduced me to a bunch of people so but, Bill for people who don't know he was legendary radio promoter uh, for many years and uh, I worked with him at Capitol with when we had uh, Garth there so go ahead and he was a force to be reckoned with Bill Catino he was, still is and he was it was awesome to me he brought me here I think in 95 and I wasn't ready to be here mm. and at the time I was getting serious with the, uh, my fiance wife and so I opted to stay mm-hmm. in Florida rather than come to Music City four years later I say to her I want to go to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And she kind of resisted, but we ended up here anyway. And I knew two people. Other than Bill, I knew one other guy. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends had moved here, I didn't, unbeknownst to me, two months before I moved here. Mm-hmm. So I found out he was here, and I walk into his office. He said, it's about time you got here. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he started making phone calls and sending me out, helping him with his digital audio business. That's mm-hmm. how... The Nat- Nashville just opened its doors. To Tell our listeners where he sent you to the gingerbread house. That's a great story. Um, he 
one of the first calls, he said, uh, I'm sending you out to Dennis Lindy's house. I don't have time for this, he says. And I'm like, what do you got? He's like, well, he's got this and he's got this and they, that he purchased. Mm -hmm. But he needs somebody to set it up for mm -hmm. him. I, I can't do it. You, you go, go help Dennis. I don't know who Dennis Lindy is. <laughs> I don't know who anybody is, right? So I go out to his house uh, east uh, side of Nashville out by the airport. And beautiful piece of property and it looks like a gingerbread house <laughs> it looks like something out of the hobbit it's just like this incredible sculptured roof and rounded walls and a little princess tower and stuff I was like who is this guy like what is this so I walk into his creating room and it's this gigantic room it's got to be 30 feet long 15, 20 feet wide. It's just this huge room. Love it. It's a pile of equipment, maps, uh, uh, things on the floor. There was a, there was some kind of giant uh, board. Oh, I'd love to tell you about that. This giant board on the floor that has markings on it. Looks like a giant, uh, like a giant place. Like like he, there were little buildings and cars and oh stuff my like goodness. like Hot Wheels cars and stuff on this what board. What board was that? And I'll tell you about it in a second. I don't know who this guy is. And there's black velvet Elvises, like 20 of them. And so I I love Elvis. I'm a huge Elvis fan. I know every song I used to, I, I do Elvis impersonations. I, I love, I can nail Elvis's voice. I, I love Elvis. And I'm looking at all these Elvises. I'm like, what's with the Elvis? And he goes, I wrote an Elvis song. I'm like, you didn't write an Elvis song. He says, yeah, I wrote an Elvis song. I said, what song did you write? I, I wrote Burning Love. I'm like, get out of here. You didn't, you didn't write Hunk of Burning Love. You didn't write Hunk of Hunk of Burning Love. You didn't write it. He's like, I, I did. I, I even played on the session. I, I played on the session. And he thought it was so funny that I didn't know who he was. Because he's this recluse. Nobody saw him. He, he, he never went to award shows. He uh, never went to town. He didn't. He went to one thing. One thing, when he got his lifetime achievement, whatever, at BMI or whatever, BMI. they gave, made him a life like that. And they told him, you have to come, don't send your wife, don't send your niece, don't, don't send any, you have to come and accept the award. I love it. So he was forced to... One, one day. To come goes, to the big city. To come to the big city, right? He just would not... What else did he write? He wrote Queen of My Double Wide Trailer. There go. He wrote a Goodbye Earl. Earl. Uh, he wrote uh, Colin Baton Rouge for you for, for your well, day. but I have to say the first people to cut that, which I played for Mr. GB, was Newgrass Revival. Newgrass, of course. And I said, Hey Garth, you ought to get John Cowan to sing with you on that, and he did. So the rest is history. Wow, how fun was that? So then you, then he said, Come on back, I need more help. Two months, almost every day, I was schlepping out to Dennis's house. I love it. And we would hang out, and he would make tea every day. We'd have high tea every day. <laughs> and I would sit there and work on his rig, work on his recording rig every So day. I wonder why something about you made him willing to open his life to you. I mean, someone who is so closed and a bit of a recluse, so... Oh, he was a great hang, and, yeah. and oh, here's a here's a great Dennis Lindy story. And make it all about Dennis Lindy, but he's he was such a funny, random character. One of the first guy. If you're gonna meet one of the first guys in Nashville, you're gonna meet this guy. Yeah, sure. I'm digging through his stuff. I have to update his software. I'm digging through his shelf. I'm like, I come up with this box, and it's an acetate in the box. You know, first press. Sure, sure. 
I open up this box and it says me and Bobby McGee. What? On in the on the on the acetate. It says me and Bobby McGee. And I'm holding it. I'm like, uh, Dennis, what's this? And he comes up, he goes, Oh, uh, I wonder where that was. He's that's 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 the that's the original. That's oh. the first recording we did with Chris Christopher. I produced a couple of his albums. Get out of here. He said, oh, my he said that, that's the first, that's the first, uh, me and Bobby McGee, that's the first one. And I went, I'm holding it like a Stradivarius at this point. You know, I'm, I'm holding it, I'm like, I don't even want to be holding this thing, right? I'm like. Did you play it? No, I said, Dennis, this needs to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame, like right now. He goes, that's a good idea, I'll give him a call. <laughs> And so that acetate that was sitting on his shelf in a pile of software, is that funny? So that's the kind of stuff that would happen now, these random... You're like Forrest Gump, for goodness sakes. And so we hung out, and and, uh, and other people I got referred to, you know, by just being around, just being in the mix. And because I had some experience with digital audio, that was where the real turnover in Nashville was. Mm. Most of the producers were still doing analog. Yeah, analog, yeah. And they didn't quite know how to make the transition. I well, Jimmy Bowen brought digital, you know, largely brought digital to town. And then you met a very cool guy named Mr. Ed C. And talk, oh, so talk about Ed because you, you guys are still doing. Stuff. Yeah, I, I was with Ed this morning uh, remastering a, a project. Uh, best ears going. Ed and I have worked on tons and tons of music together. Just what a great guy, great hang. Stories, you want to talk about, you need to interview Ed. I, <laughs> you know, I ask him. Place. I would love to talk to him. That oh, would he be is great. so funny. Just to hang out with Ed for yeah, a day yeah. is, you know, even if we don't get any music done, I'm still going to pay him for the stories and stuff. But uh, I got a call from, from Frank uh, Conway, who was the guy sending me around. Who he, was he selling was, equipment. He was selling audio gear. Audio One was the company. And he was sending me around. Because I knew how to run Pro Tools, I knew how to run. To, I knew how to set up Word Clock and all the stuff that these guys, the country guys, didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So he called Ed C and Ed C and Doug Johnson were putting a little studio together, and they were trying to choose a console, a, a mixer, that would be the focal point of the studio. Mm -hmm. And he called him and he says, it's because I love you <laughs> that I'm sending Joe Hand over to you. The Joe Hand. And I, like, you know, <clears throat> Frank was salesman extraordinaire. And so I go over with these consoles and we start swapping cables. And we just dig in and we start setting up. And they thought it was hilarious that I was just pulling boxes out and these, you know, $20,000, $80,000, $100,000 console. We're just slinging them, right? And fixing them. But I have no fear of this stuff. I love it, right? And we just take it up, put it on the desk, run the sound. Hey, let's record something through it. Let's track it. And at the end of the day, they chose the console. But they were like, man, this guy's cool. So all of a sudden, my phone's ringing. Ed C called, like, a bunch of guys said, hey, I got this guy. He's great. If you need something, you need to call this guy. Because they were so busy. Yeah. People would call Ed. Ed's like, there's no way. I got Blake's project. I got this project. Because he was, I guess he was working on uh, Blake Shelton's project. He mm -hmm. did the Blake, earlier Blake records. Early Blake stuff, and, sure. Because uh, was that on Giant or what? I'm trying to remember what that was on. But he referred me as an engineer to other people. Mm -hmm. I'm in Nashville three months and I'm getting called to engineer major label sessions because I had the digital audio experience and references from guys like Ed. Yeah. 
it was the most amazing thing. So when people talk about Nashville, oh, wow, it took years to... But Nashville just went, what took you so long? Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Well, I so think I so much of it is being in the right place, right time, yeah. and having your own um, attitude. You know, what's your attitude? What are you bringing to the table? And recognizing opportunity when you see it and jumping on it. Because some people don't. They just kind of dilly-dally, you well, know. you're afraid of the risk, right? You risk. Yeah, you're afraid for real. Of, but do what you do. I, I loved it. See, I love music. Yeah. I love recording music. I've been in recording studios since I was a teenager. It's not unfamiliar territory. Sure, second it's nature just, to you. The, the recording part was. Mm-hmm. I might not have known what that piece of equipment was. Let's set it up and try it out. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to blow it up. What do you got to lose? You know, set it up, try it out. Let's let's plug a guitar into it. Let's see what it sounds like. Let's try that microphone. Mm-hmm. No fear of it. It's just stuff. Yeah. And I think the fearlessness of that mm-hmm. was part of uh, your success. It, it really was because anything anybody wanted to try, I was in. I was like, okay, let's run that microphone through that preamp instead of the one you normally use or anything they wanted to try the answer was yes so when I met you I wasn't working with Lynn Anderson yet but her daughter Lisa Sutton beautiful beautiful wonderful wonderful, hysterical Lisa Sutton (laughs) who's the daughter of Glenn Sutton and Lynn Anderson was renting from me down the street here we still have the building and you were working on a project, and you were having her do graphic design, your album cover. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Terzian was in her office. Nancy, I just had yeah. Nancy do design for me two days ago. Oh, get out of I here. Still, Nancy and I still, I she's love still it. designing my album covers love 20 it. years later. Yeah, I love it. And But I went up there, and the three girls that were up there mm-hmm. um, would crack me up. It was total entertainment and you never knew who was going to be in there no you'd walk in there they'd be working with a songwriter so there'd be a guy who had written a hit song or whatever and it was just like a hangout and they usually had a dog or two there was a dog or always yeah and And her laughter is hysterical i mean it's just contagious lisa's laughter so that it was like the ultimate little coffee house right up there Uh because you had no idea what was going on and then you know kind of you know nipping at each other and, and carrying on with each other they were they were a riot but they did graphic design. I was still making albums. Mm-hmm. So I, she did album design and, and pressing mm-hmm. and some other stuff. But when she saw some of the things I was doing, she goes, I'm taking you to meet Pam right now. And she walked <laughs> me out of the office, down the stairs, over to your office, yep. brought her in, yep. brought yep. me in, and it was you. Yep, there you go. That's how it happened. She was like, you need to know Joe. Joe needs to know you. And that was how we met. And that's what Music Row was like. It was very much that way. We oh, we're lost, going next door. <laughs> we've lost some of that, but we still have it, you know, to a yeah, point. So. But, but exactly right. And it was the um, ability to run into one another and have these these creative collisions, I will call them. That's a great phrase. Yeah, creative collisions for a big time. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. That is exactly how Nashville happened. So we became buddies, and you, at one point, had your own studio that you were operating. I, I built a little studio right down the street, and, and but I was working at all kinds of other studios, and then I built a slightly bigger studio, but you would call me with the projects that you, you would call me with a project that would have, didn't, it, it either, you're like, hey, I... I've got this artist, 
and they don't have much of a budget, but can you make something for them? Yeah, you know? yeah. So, can you can close you, but no cigar? Help them. Yeah, help them. You know, I, I, they don't really have enough to do what. They, but can you help them? And so you brought me a bunch of work, yeah. and the work was good, and they were good, but you know, we they had needed a lot. some artist development. I kind of did a lot of that, mm-hmm. and uh, not just because people would hear the work that I did for you or for some of the others. And they'll be like, well, can you do that for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was a lot of what happened was, can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. They would hear my work or my songs, and they would say, your songs are great. I don't need them, but can you do that for me? Sure. And because I was open to that, and I was like, no, I'm going to be the artist, and Nashville needs to sign me or whatever. I'm 30-whatever I'm years old at that point. Sure. I, yeah. I didn't care about getting signed. I was 30, they were signing 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds at the time. <laughs> so what were they going to do with a 30-year-old, you know, guy just hanging around Music Row? I don't know. It was funny. So you and I would see each other, run into each other, mm-hmm. you know, work together, and, and then we wouldn't see each other. And then we, then I hear from you, I'm going to Florida. I'm moving to Florida. I'm like, what? You're like, yeah, I've had enough. It's, I don't want to be bothered with the studio now. It's too big. I don't want to have the overhead, overhead whatever. And you moved to Florida, which I was like, oh, man. But you bloom where you're planted. And, of course, Florida was home to you. And you carved out this amazing performance career for yourself because of these incredible opportunities playing at these huge subdivisions, like mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, really mini cities. So, mm-hmm. so talk about that experience. Because you would call me periodically, you're like, I miss you, let's talk. And you, I'm yeah. like, what are you up to? And you go, well, I just played like 20 gigs this week. I'm like, what are you doing? Say what you were doing. You carved out a cool niche for yourself. I, I moved down there, um, and I started working for a church, but I started playing gigs, and I started writing songs. And I was coming, I miss Nashville so much, yeah. that I was coming back every couple months. Yeah, come back. Hang every- out for a couple weeks. I was mm-hmm. writing songs. And then I started writing some country songs to pitch, and we got together on mm-hmm. that. And you did the showcase for me, and yeah, everything. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to still kind of be in, in the mix. mix. Yeah, sure. Because down there, there wasn't any pro music happening. Mm-hmm. And I went from being, you know, a pro up here, but most of the time being the worst musician in the room, to going down there and being the best musician in the room. I didn't like that. Well, you had like I, a whole fan club. You had these loyal people, and some of them came up with you. And I'm yeah. like, who are these people? Uh, uh, well, what did they call themselves? You had this whole... Oh, Joe Hand fans. They were the, they were the, <laughs> they were the hand fans. Hand fans, yeah. It, it, was, it was really funny. Uh, but I started... Um, there were a lot I, of retirees. Uh, the retirees. They had lots of expendable fans. income, expendable time, and they, you, they were your groupies. Mm-hmm. And I was learning songs, going and playing little gigs, mm-hmm. sitting in a corner at a pizza shop, Paulie's Pizza, or going out to Gator Joe's by the lake or wherever, and I would sit there for four hours and play songs. And they I paid you. And they paid me well, and you'd get tips. And, and so I decided to dig into the guitar a little more. I was never a guitar player. Mm-hmm. I was in Nashville. I don't need to be a guitar player. No, Nashville, exactly. Right? Oh, the Nashville for, Cats, right? <laughs> right. I'm gonna I'm gonna hire Scott Gudo or James Mitchell or the guys who play on the, the hit records. Yeah, I'm yeah. not you know, I'm not gonna play guitar. I was a bass player, I was a piano player. Mm-hmm. But I liked the guitar, so I started playing more guitar and over the last uh, now it's a long time, 
I've turned myself more into the guitar player, and people know me as the guitar guy. So you're playing like a lot of Clapton stuff. Clapton, Santana, love it. Mark Knopfler. I mean, I I I really dug in, and I have like fifty guitars. It's like stupid. You I do like, not. I have fifty. I have more guitars than some guitar stores. I just got into buying, selling, and trading them, and upgrading them, and which pickups and everything. So I, over the last bunch of years, I've been writing songs, still producing. I haven't worked with many other artists. Mm-hmm. Just a few, and maybe a handful over the last decade or so. But mostly working on being Joe the guitar player. And huh. I'm, I enjoy the heck out of myself. Minimum amount of gigs I did in my area was 160. What was the biggest tip you ever got? Uh, biggest tip? Oh, the, uh, the occasional $100 bill. You know, not bad. So, uh, play Freebird. Here's a hundred bucks. Oh, uh, okay. So here's my here's my Freebird story. So I'm in I'm in Florida. <laughs> You're playing gigs in Florida. So uh, I saw a guy. I'm going back. I had to be 22 years old, and I saw a guy playing at a bar down in the Keys, mm-hmm. and he had a big sign behind him, big poster board, and it said. Uh, Brown-eyed girl, $10. Margaritaville, $20. New York, New York, you don't have enough money, is what it said on the side. I love it. So ever since then, I've had my list, you know. And so if somebody comes up and said, Freebird, I'd be like, you got 50 bucks? Well, I paid 50 Okay, I'm not playing Freebird, you know. But, but now I'll play it because there's... But now I'd play it because of, there's a five-minute guitar solo I'm going to do. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. But I didn't do that before. Now I'm, I'm doing that. You got the trigger finger to, uh, <sighs> trigger to finger prove, to prove it, it, right? So yeah, that's uh, uh, kids. Here's a lesson for you: stretch out your hands and don't don't play too much, or you'll, mm, you'll hurt yourself. Do it. Yeah. It's like anything else, right? It's an overuse injury. It's like carpal tunnel. It's carpal tunnel. It's mm. like anything else, overuse injury. So now I've got to go through that and get that healed before I can start. Playing the next level. Undaunted, you will do it. No, I'm going to do it. I play music. It's what I do. So, I love it. so other stories, like, to, I mean, you were talking about um, people walking up when you're in the middle of a solo and requesting another song oh, and yeah. all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff that would happen. Um, uh, the gigs, uh, I've, I've had such a good time doing gigs, but there's also some, some crazy moments, mm-hmm. too. So... You know, it's uh, if you play in clubs, you play in bars, you play in restaurants. The obvious uh, people but, get overserved sometimes. Uh, yes, they do. So uh, I, I have I've had a lot of fun uh, playing live, but mostly doing solo work. And mm-hmm. I build backing tracks for myself because I'm a recording guy. Mm-hmm. So I put like master quality backing tracks behind all my songs. Love it. So I've got like 400 recordings, cover songs. Plus my original. Whoa! For uh, you name it, it could be Alan Parsons. It could be, you know, uh, uh, you know, England Dan. It's, it's like it, it doesn't matter what. That, so I've got ben John Ford Coley lives in Franklin, by the way. I'd love to meet him. <laughs> oh, I've got his number. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, uh, he's cool. I have a funny feeling I'm going to be meeting a lot of people. I've already. Jim Messina lives in Franklin. Jimmy, right down the street. Yeah. A lot of cool people. Well, I, it's funny. I, I worked uh, I worked a lot with John Michael Talbot, a mm-hmm. Christian singer, and he. Uh, uh, I, I've worked on some of his records. I toured with him back in two thousand four, and his brother Terry, 
And uh, they have a hilarious story about Jim Messina. Oh, really? going to be in their band. What? Back in the early 70s. It was a Christian band? No. They had a band called Mason Prophet. Oh. And they were signed to Warner Brothers. And so they were working, doing the big thing, touring, playing with the birds and mm-hmm. the eagles and all the people back then. And when they kind of burned out and quit, the record label gave the opportunity to somebody else. But they wanted to put the two brothers together mm-hmm. with Al Perkins, the pedal steel oh, and lovely soul, perfect. Who, who has played, and, and, and right, Al, Al Perkins. And I uh, played with Stephen Stills and mm. the Eagles and all those people, right? And uh, but just Al Perkins, what a lovely human being, unbelievable musician. Mm. And they wanted back in the early '70s, apparently, to put Jim Messina with the band and send them out as Mason Prophet with Jim Messina and band. But he's doing this thing. He's he's making this album with Kenny Loggins, so he <laughs> he's going to finish this album with Kenny Loggins. Then he's going to work on you. <laughs> apparently, that's how they lost. Jim Messina in yeah. the band. So, well, and his funny? background was engineering and production. You know, it was like sort of a flu that he got. Well, I mean, he's, and he's amazing. I mean, all the bands that he's been involved with. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ah, he will. But it's got to be, man. Come on. For, for all he's the got work new, that he's done? Yeah, he's got a new studio, too, by the way. So it's it, I've worked with so many people, and, and it's just lots of random meetings. Lots of random meetings. And, yeah. and like I said, the creative uh, collision. I love that phrase. It's exactly Where's the song my, about it, baby? That's my whole, uh, what, how I've made a living all these years is creative. Creative collision. So, you, so you've been watching Nashville, and what I love is you're not coming in and saying, when, when, when happened in Nashville? You're like, no, I'm here. Nashville's still vibrant. Nashville's just different. And a lot of people complain. They're all like, what happened? And, you know, you have to... Change happens. Growth happens. So there's no point in hand-wringing about it. And you're proof positive that you're back. <laughs> you're back. <laughs> you know what? Change isn't good or bad. It's just change. What, yeah. what do you make of it? It's what do you make of where it. Where do you fit in it? Look, I started a piano player. Uh-huh. And I played bass. I thought I was going to play bass for a famous band. Right? I thought that was going to be... Somebody was going to pick me up and... I was going to be the bass player and singing all the high parts in, in, in somebody's band. And that never happened. I got sucked into the studio work and loved it and just made a living at that. And then played live and then worked at churches. And then it's all different. But all those experiences helped me produce my music. Morph to who you are today. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Change, change has just changed. What do you make of it? What do you want to do with it? So, are you going to open another studio? Like, what is your what are your plans going forward? Collaborate, partner with someone, or you're just going to just stay open? I'm going to stay completely open and see what happens. I, okay, I want to build a building, but I don't know what materials I have to work with. Mm-hmm. I know what I can do, but I don't have all the pieces. I, I have a lot of my friends here, my uh, drummer. Uh, Tony Mora that I've done hundreds of songs with, and Ed C, and uh, Mike Rojas, and some of the great musicians that are here. I know all those guys, and I'm going to do stuff with them. But there's a lot of people I haven't met yet, so what do you... What Just kind of, haven't you, met them yet. 
And what what kind of painting do you make when you don't know what your color palette is? I, yeah. I'm waiting. You got for the more canvas, colors. but you're waiting for the colors. More colors, and I'm I'm ready for it. I I don't know what it'll be. I don't know if I'm gonna be sucked more into the producer side of things here. Mm. If somebody just wants me to do editing, I don't really enjoy editing, but I'm very good at it. Mm-hmm. I edited a lot of songs that became hits. I was the editor. Um, but that's no fun. That's sitting and editing. T- tedious. It's so tedious. I love the play. I love the creative part. I love the synergy. Mm. But sitting there in front of a computer is getting harder and harder for me as I get older. I love music. Mm-hmm. I love the energy of music being played together. By now, do you go... We were talking about this the other day. Um and I had music playing, and you were like, oh, man, the, I remember that jazz song, and I remember this, and then some other stuff came on. It was more easy listening. We were laughing about that. Do you just occupational hazard, are you just always thinking music, listening to music, like even in the grocery store, that kind of thing, elevators? Uh-huh. Everything. Yeah. You can't turn it off. I, I can't turn it off. And, and for the last about 10 years since I've been doing music in front of people, uh-huh. 200 gigs a year, 220 gigs a year, whatever I've been doing for all this time, I would hear a song and wonder, I wonder if I can do a version of that song. I wonder if I can, I wonder if I can make, do that song. I wonder if I can sing. So my whole bent for almost 10 years was, how can I put my fingerprint on that song? Uh-huh. How, can, how can I do that song? So it's Alan. And make it, make it your yeah, own. Yeah, I hear a Poco song. I'm like, I, I love that song. I would love to do that song. Yeah. You know, or, or and so now when I hear a song, but uh, when we were listening to music the other night, uh-huh. the jazz songs that were there were songs like I would listen to in college. Miles Davis. So and, Miles Davis yeah. and Jimmy Smith. And, mm-hmm. and so there was all this stuff that was uh, uh, coming on, uh, you know, Wayne Shorter and everything. And, all, and going to a jazz school, you know, I, I love jazz stuff. I'm not. But our taste in jazz is the same because I don't like. Where it's like they sound like they're tuning up. I'm like, seriously, <laughs> can you please stop? I, it's so like eleven o'clock at night for Christ's sake. I'm trying to wind down a little bit, you know. Uh, yeah, you can't wind down a Coltrane, you know. Oh like, my you, goodness! You can't do it, you know? No, 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 no. Um, so I was going to ask you something. I was going to ask you. Okay, keep talking. Let's keep talking here. I'm losing my train of thought here. Speaking of Coltrane. Um, You walked into the office, and we were having a conversation about bookings. And everyone I know either wants a booking agent. If they have a booking agent, they want more bookings. And I said to you, how many dates did you work? And you rattled off, what, close to 200 dates. Mm-hmm. And I said, Joe, did you have a booking agent? And what did you say? No. So here is a little bit of advice to anyone who's listening who either has an artist that is like complaining, saying, I want more bookings, or they're an artist themselves. What should you do if you're looking for gigs? Number one, make videos. There you go. Okay? It was a video world when you started MTV back then. And guess what we're still doing? Still. If they can't see it, they're not going to book it. So, the and everybody's got a camera on their cell phone. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not doing a gig, do a gig in your living room. Mm-hmm. Do a gig on the back patio. Call your friends. Call somebody that, uh, be in a, the, the rec hall at your church, whatever it is, set up and play a few songs and have two people there with iPhones. Hand it to a, 
a 16 year old, give him 50 bucks and say, edit my video together. And you have some video footage of you, even if it's a verse and a chorus. Doesn't it matter. doesn't have to be a 10 minute thriller video. You Give us, what do you do? Show us. And so people, because I'm doing a lot of work, people come to me, artists after artist after artist, book me, help me. Can you book me? I want that gig. I would love to play at this place. I would love to play at the, where you're playing. I would love to do what you're doing. Do you have a video? No. I can't book you. No. Well, but they know you. I can't vouch for you. They are. They want to see you play. They want to see what you do. So that's the number one thing. The other thing is do charity events. Do little things. Be visible. Be, be in places where you're going be to be a busker. seen. Where are you going to be seen? Well, it's pretty hot today, but it may may not be downtown right now. But if you go in downtown Franklin, which is where I live and where you are going to be living, mm-hmm. any day of the week, there are people out playing music. Any day of the week, there's a violinist out there on one corner all the time. And it's it's just, if you love to play music, play music, regardless of where you're playing music. Well, you have to have the love. A lot of people want the attention. Mm, There's a difference. And what I have found is I love the craft of music. I'm always studying it, practicing it, listening, learning about it. And I find a lot of people want the attention but haven't done the work. They Mm. haven't done the homework. Mm -hmm. And then they want somebody else to do the work for them. And they could just be the artist and show up and and get the attention. It's like it's beneath them. Well, unfortunately... People don't, they see the big artists, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't realize how hard the big artists worked at interviews, songs, image, video, photos. I mean, and probably they, at one point Keith Urban picked up the phone and booked himself. But I mean, how many, how many uh, interviews does an artist have to do in a week if they're signed to a label? A gazillion interviews. Mm-hmm. They're hoarse. They can't hardly sing. Mm-hmm. So they don't see... They see somebody showing up and singing and being pretty. Mm-hmm. They don't see the legwork behind the scenes that not only the artist is doing, but a crew of people. Yeah. And to be successful, you have to have people helping you. But well, you and they're on stage for a couple hours, maybe. But what it takes to get to that point is unbelievable. So you know, the rehearsals, the recording, the getting on a bus or a plane or whatever, the traveling, the schlepping, the, you know, the meet and greets before or after. It's not for the faint-hearted, for sure. No, but the, the, I love the craft. I want it to be good. Mm-hmm. I want what I do to be good. I study very hard, make sure everything, I want every, the recording to be just right. I want the performance to be right. I want people to have fun. You've got to engage the audience. You can't just stand there. you got to be with the people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People want the attention, but they don't want the work. Well, and people get attention for the most mundane of things these days. They can, yeah. You know, TikTok so. world, whatever. But Cranberry juice and a skateboard, which was fun. I loved it. It was fun. But where's that guy now? I don't know. He probably has a lifetime uh, supply of ocean spray. <laughs> and Fleetwood Mac got a shot in the arm, <laughs> which yeah. was great, you know, right. and the new audience was built. But... Yeah, sometimes just to be famous for the sake of being famous is, it's fun, but is it sustaining? And maybe it's not even important. 
to be sustaining for some people. You know, but what I, what, what, one of the things that I, I, I love so much about you is you're a music person. You love the music. You love the craft of it. Mm. And you love art. You're, you're surrounded by art. I mean, in your office. I love to creative you're, people. I want to be around creative people. And I, I love, you're right, I love Whether art. it's high art or folk art, you're in. Yeah, you I, love I'm in, yeah. art. And, and it's, it, I do too. I, I'm, 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 a, I'm an art person. I used mm. to, when I was at Berkeley, we had all the art museums in Boston. Oh, I would gosh. just wander around. My teacher... For art teacher, uh, he was uh, the curator of the Boston Museum. Ah, how fabulous. So we had passes. So when I wasn't practicing, when I was burnt eight hours a day in a practice room, I would go wander around the Museum of Fine Arts and walk, look at the Monet, sit there in front of Monet, mm. or, or Renoir, or whatever. Because I, I, they had a wonderful impressionist mm-hmm. uh, collection. At that, at that museum, it was incredible. And so I loved to go to museums. I loved to... I love art. I love album covers. That mm-hmm. uh, we used to have album covers that yes had what Roger Dean, the, mm-hmm. the, right, the, the, the artist, and all those album covers. The art, I loved all of it, mm-hmm. the whole package. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we've lost. Well, you just light up when you talk about it. I mean, your your enthusiasm even now, thinking about looking at these album covers from how many decades ago, you light up. And of course, you know everybody read the liner notes. Every every word, who did every what? Every word, yeah. Every credit, right? Yeah. We did that. You gotta love the music. But you and you were so you were so lucky. If if you were lucky enough that you bought an album and the inner sleeve had the lyrics, that was wicked cool. Or sometimes they would print them on the back. And I can remember. Oh my God, I loved um, I loved the song Blackwater. And I just thought it was so cool, you know. Well, build me a raft and ready for floating. And I couldn't understand all the words. And I can remember laying on the floor, and there were there weren't lyrics in the in the album, and laying on the floor with my head against the speaker, trying to hear what the hell they were singing, and thinking, oh my god, I hope my parents don't walk in here. <laughs> but um. Anyway. We struggled with lyrics back then, knowing oh, yeah. that or anything to help us out. No, if the yeah, lyrics no. weren't in there, you did best guess. And God Do you, you remember um, Jumpin' Jack Flash? you remember oh, that course. movie? Mick, Mick, speak English! <laughs> <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> it, it, we, we struggled with lyrics back then. and we, oh, all, we learned We would go out and we'd sing a song completely wrong. Because absolutely. we didn't know what the lyrics No, were, hell no. Were. And I, then we'd sing them that way for 20 years, and then we'd find out what the lyrics are. Are that really what those lyrics are supposed to be? I always laugh. You know this song, Evil Woman. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Medieval Woman. Medieval? <laughs> it's different, isn't it? <laughs> And then, but there was a popular song when I was a kid, and it was Ed Ames, My Cup Runneth Over With Love. Mm-hmm. My cup runneth mm-hmm. over with love. I thought it was My Cup Run a Gopher. And I thought it that was. Run a gopher. <laughs> I thought that was so cool because I love the, like, go, go, gophers, watch them go, go, go. Remember that stupid cartoon that was on? Mm-hmm. Love that. Like, but, um, and this guy's singing about gophers. How cool is that? <laughs> Immediately going to varmints now with the yeah, Caddyshack, you know. Of course, exactly, right? Yeah, anyway, your rodents are us. Yeah, um, it's it's funny. Uh, 
music, I mean, think about the world without music or without art and how very dull it would be. I can't imagine doing anything else, being a part of anything else. Mm. Music has to be there. I mean, I've been, since I was 10 years old, I've wanted to be in music. It's like somebody doesn't like music, it's like people that don't like dogs. There's something wrong with them. (laughs) (laughs) I agree, wholeheartedly agree. And if you like music and dogs, you're number one in my book. (laughs) And cats. Well, it's hard if you've done anything in professional music, Mm. anything around professional music to go to somewhere that doesn't care about music mm-hmm. or the sound or the PA system or somebody doesn't care about what they're singing or they're, they're or they don't sing it right I'm, one of my biggest pet peeves in the world at this point is somebody who doesn't know the lyrics or they're they're reading it on their phone and, and you can read it on the phone but just sing them right I mean you got an you got an iPad in front of you and you're still not singing the right lyrics I mean it's the now put your glasses the, on. <laughs> now is the easiest time ever to do music. Yeah, it really is. But but if you're on stage, presumably this is something that you think is important. You're either getting paid, yes, or it's something you you're putting your life into. You know, I, I would learn the lyrics before you get on stage, and maybe if you only just do two verses, learn two verses. You know, come on. I got a phrase for you, and I bet I bet you take the you bet you steal this. Um, there was a guy playing a song. I was with a friend of mine. We were having a meal. We heard this guy playing a song. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, there's a whole lot of I don't care coming out of that there you go. right now. Yeah, there you and go. And you can tell this guy just did, was just filling his just time. Phoning it in. Waiting for the check at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and he, he told me something, a good friend, Max Sanders. He said... I want every note to be in tune, on time, every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, without, a, a, you know, uh, uh, there was another quote, uh, you know, to play a note without passion is inexcusable. Mm. I forget which composer mm. said that. To play a note, to play a wrong note is forgivable. To play a note without, without passion, passion yeah, is inexcusable. And I forget which composer said that. The older I get, the more I believe that. I want ever. I don't care if I'm playing for four hours. But it's a metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, it's like enthusiasm is contagious. It is. You have people that just phone it in. They're just, it's like they're just taking up space. And it it. shows. I can't do it. I got to care about what I'm doing. Yeah. And the moment I don't, I can't be there anymore. So gigs that were harder for me, I would play because I say yes to a lot of gigs. Mm hmm. And if the gig isn't right for me, I said, sorry, this isn't for me. This isn't a good fit. And they're like, well, but but we love you. We want to be. I'm like, it's not a good fit. you know. It's yeah. just, so it has to be a good fit. And mm-hmm. I think people sometimes are so desperate to be heard mm-hmm. or desperate for a gig or something. They'll take anything. But you have to find the situations that, are, that feed your soul. Too. Right, right. And mm-hmm. find songs that hit your sweet spot. You know, you I mean, the, the, the really great, great, great guys. I mean, I'll use George Strait for an example. He doesn't write. I mean, maybe he's written a couple of songs, but he, he's not known as a writer. But he cuts songs that hit his sweet spot. And you know that's George Strait because of the topic that he sings about, because his, his vocals are just, they just shine. You know, Vince. Vince can sing Vince. anything. But Vince cuts either, writes or cuts songs that just make him shine and also make the hair on your arm stand up absolutely he can deliver a song right 
So, but, but every time I think of him, I think of him singing "Go Rest High" when George oh. passed, and he and Patty, and I get a lump in my throat every time I think about it. You know, it was just so um, moving and so genuine. You know, I was at the Ryman a few years ago for that Ken Burns documentary. Yes, and that Ken's Burn Ken Burns documentary concert, and he just killed me. Yeah. He, st- he stole the show. And everybody kept going back to Vince like because he was on stage playing with the band, right? Yeah, and he was yeah. just playing his guitar and he just wanted to be part of the band. Yeah. And he didn't want to be the star. He didn't want to talk too much. And nope. he was like, so they gave him a script to read. He's like, why do they got me reading this? Like so standing up there still being like, why do you have me doing this? Well, you said you got to the show early and he comes out. And he's he, setting up he, his own guitar. Yeah, no right? guitar tech or anything. That's, right. the way, that's the way he is. He's you know? a musician, right? And, and that's, in, in many ways, that's how I am. I'm a musician. Uh-huh. I'm changing my own strings. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own, most of my own tech work and carrying my own stuff. I, I just love the music. I love being in it. I just love it. And, and I thought I'd be over it by now. What else would you do? That's the thing. You I don't know, think what I'm qualified to do anything. <laughs> really? Not. You're just a slacker. <laughs> Finance? What am I gonna do? <laughs> uh, you know. You could you could do HVAC. Well, you know what I can do? I can do that. I can also make pizzas because that's what I used to do. You can make pizzas. I, can I you toss pizza. them? I toss pizzas. Shut up. I toss pizzas. Now I don't want to do it anymore. But I like thin crust. I I, I will do my best. I like crunchy I thin crust. Don't bring me any Sicilian. <laughs> I don't like those chewy things. Mark Logston likes a chewy pizza, not me. So in college, I have a fretless bass. And I wanted this fretless bass because I heard uh, uh, Pino Palladino play, great bass player. Yeah. He plays now for John Mayer and Pete Townsend. And, and Fred. But I saw a video where, where Pino Palladino was playing. I'm in college, first year of college, uh-huh. second year of college. Dead broke. And I uh, had this crummy job working at a shop, little uh, t-shirt shop, and I wanted a fretless bass. And I saw his fretless bass and I had to have it. So I took a job, graveyard shift, at a pizza place for four weeks so I could buy this bass. I still have it. It's the only thing I have. Yep. It's the the only... So stupid question. Why would you want, like what is the advantage of a fretless bass? Just a different tone. It's more expressive. More expressive, okay. You're not locked down to a single note. Like the fret makes the note exact. Okay. But you can shape more like a cello. Ah, like a cello. It makes sense. Perfect sense. Yeah, so you can slide notes and do things. So I love playing fretless, and because of my gimpy finger right now, I haven't been able to do very much for bass. So it's something I would like to do more when I'm here. Yeah. I would love to play bass some more. I haven't done that in years. I've been the guitar player. I've been the entertainer. Well, but the good cool? thing is there's a gazillion more places to play than there were the last time you were here. Because no they've had so much building that's going on. And I've been, you know, every time I come up, I go up and around, and I'm hearing great music of mm. all kinds. I mean, you're hearing soul tunes. You're hearing rock tunes. You're hearing 70s tunes. You're, I mean, it's, Have you been to the Virgin yet? Uh-uh. I wish you'd go over there. I love that place. I just saw it last time I came out. I was like, what is this? Yeah, you know, right. Like, where can, did this come from? We can walk there. I mean, really. I mean, it's just, uh, they have a cool writer's night in the lobby. And then um, their rooftop is cool. There's a pool up there. It's just really nice. 
You like don't it. feel like you're in Nashville. It just has this really nice kind of big vacay vibe to it, and a little bit of British. Oh, and they British have does. all these deconstructed uh, instruments on the ceiling. You will flip. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really cool. It's very artsy and fun. It's very whimsical, I would I, say. I can't wait. Yeah. But you see, there's so much here. And I haven't been. I mean, I don't go to hotels because I live here. But yeah. I, <laughs> you know, we went there because we had this music contest, and we had we had people staying there and stuff. And of course, it was I was working with all these Brits, so we, of course we went over there. And I'm like, this is like a wicked cool place. And I was really peeved when they knocked the buildings down to build this. But I'm embracing it now because there you go. And it kind of is right as you enter Music Row, so it's mm -hmm. a, it's a feature now. It's definitely a feature. It's like the gateway into Music Row, which is uh, apropos, you know. Gonna... Hey, we're worldwide now. Nashville was Sir a closed off when I moved here, and now it's worldwide. Yeah, and I'm like, just visit. Don't move here. <laughs> you can move here, because you are already here. You can move back. <laughs> I miss my little place I had west side of town. I have a nice little piece of property out there. I miss yeah. it. Maybe one day again, but, but it sounds good uh, where I'm going to be. Yeah. So what else? What uh, what other words of wit and wisdom would you like to share today? Um, as far as for... Pick a pick a subject, uh, an artist for an artist, or for a musician, or for uh, who? What are you listening to now? Who who are you liking? Have you listened to anybody recently that you go, oh my god, I really love their stuff? I mean, you mentioned Little Big Town. You love little. I love those guys. Oh my word! I used to hear them rehearse because the I, management company was in my building, so I would listen to them rehearse. I think they're they're underrated. I think they're amazing. And I wish I could have worked with them again. I thought I was going to get a chance to work yeah. on their next records, but I I didn't. Yeah. Um, but they're they were incredible. Absolutely and nice incredible. people from everything I've heard. And uh, but uh, my the guy who just kills me over and over lately is John Mayer. Mm. Mm -hmm. the, the man amazes me. So I went to see him recently to see if he really was as good as I thought he was. Uh huh. He is. He is. Musician and writer. Musician, writer. He's kind of come out of you know because he's arrived at a place where he's comfortable. In his skin, artists sometimes when they're coming up mm -hmm. are not. You can there's a lot of discomfort in them, yeah. and it takes them a while to get to that place where they're like, look, this is just what almost I do. like a gawky teenager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so at a certain point, they're like, I'm just gonna do what I yeah. do. This yeah. is what I am, and it's a take it or leave it, and I'm comfortable with yeah. that yeah. without and being I, arrogant. Yeah, but the guy is one of the greatest musicians, and. I think many years from now, people are going to catch up to just how incredible. Now, mm -hmm. he's very popular and he sells a lot of records, mm -hmm. but he's he amazes me. He mm -hmm. really does. So he's anybody, inspired me to play. Anybody yeah. that you that's touring now that you haven't had a chance to see that you'd like to see? It's uh, touring now. Or just that's that you, if they're still alive, you'd like to see them, even oh, if they're I mean, not touring. Uh, I... I have you seen that any of the Beatles play? I, I have not. Oh yeah, I saw uh, uh, many years ago. I went to see Paul, uh -huh. and uh, I saw Paul at Bridgestone. I saw him in Massachusetts way back when, and uh, I saw Paul Simon. A friend of mine gifted me exceptional love seats it, to the farewell it. tour to his, yes. his homeward bound tour, yes. and we sat like eight rows back or ten Stop rows it. back. Oh my goodness! It was the most incredible thing. Um, I've seen pretty much everybody that I, I... I saw him and Art with the Everleys, which was pretty amazing. At this point, Peter Gabriel. I haven't seen Peter Gabriel. I would love to see Peter Gabriel, and if 
uh, Shock and, the Monkey. Yeah, and if uh, David Gilmore ever does a solo show mm. anywhere, I would want to be there. Mm-hmm. So those are the the, the, the two. You guys. know who I saw that I just loved, loved at the Ryman? Of course, I would see anybody at the Ryman. Just such a great room is uh, Cat Stevens. Oh, my word. Freaking amazing. Yeah. I worked on one of his records. Did you really? Yeah, the when, when he did that... Uh, there was a song he came out of retirement to record a song for the tsunami way uh, back when and yeah, 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 yeah. hadn't recorded a song forever like, yeah forever and then he did something after that at abbey road he mm-hmm. did like a little mm-hmm. video at abbey road and i got a call from i'll remember his name in a second mm. where they were doing the strings and i went and helped out on this oh how fun i didn't get to meet him Wow. But I did get to, to be a part well, of Well, he's had a Nashville connection. You know, he helped mm-hmm. build the mosque here. Mm-hmm. He gave the money to build the mosque, mm-hmm. um, the Muslim mosque, mm-hmm. which was, you know, he just, uh, I just always loved him. He's such um, a distinctive voice what and what a talent. And um, I play a number of his songs. Oh, so. Not that many people play his stuff. And what was so cool, I went with a friend of mine I've known forever, and I bought tickets, and I'm like, let's go you know this is going to be great and I hadn't listened to one of his records in many many years and every word came back to me I was singing every word it was just in the DNA you know it was so cool Moonshadow that is one of the greatest songs ever I don't know yeah Moonshadow that's good Wild World now there's a if we aren't in a wild world right now I don't know what is hard to get by just upon a smile well what a world so, mm. But the music still matters to me. I love making it. I'll play and it. maybe music can, as it has so often in the past, heal and and bridge some gaps. One, one can only hope. One I can hope. only hope. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, what am I doing kicking around Nashville again? You know? Well, let me ask you, can you give us some advice? Do you want to give a little pearls of wisdom, or do you feel like you've already spoken your truth? Uh, well, I love music. I, I think it still matters. I really do. Music is such a throwaway in the world right now. Mm. It's on every commercial. It's on every, uh, you know, it, it, it's cheap. It's Everything in our world is disposable. Mm. But what are we talking about? We're talking about songs that matter. Mm-hmm. The artists that, the things that, that have kept us going for 40 years. Mm-hmm. The, some of the stories. The, the How do you go through all the transitions in your life? The soundtrack of your life, it mm. matters. Mm-hmm. It matters. So instantly transported when you hear a song. You're instantly transported to. You're not uh, uh, Billy Joel. Son, can you play me a memory? You know, not really we, sure how it goes. We are the songs are not. They are memories. They're 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 our they're our life. There are stories. There mm-hmm. are stories too. I the music still matters, and I'm hoping being around here again that I find enough of those people that the music still matters. It's not just a commercial product mm-hmm. or something to sell. Or I got I got to release a new single or whatever. I'm looking for the people that the music still matters. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Makes all the other stuff worthwhile. Of course. of course. If people want to reach you, how do they reach you, Joe Hand? I am a dot com. Johand.com. And you can just send me a message right through my website. There you go. Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook, Joe Hand Music. And uh, you'll see uh, Goofy Me standing in Starstruck with a bass guitar on Joe Hand Music on Facebook. With a video. And there's, you'll see some videos, you'll see some, uh, and uh, I've got stuff on YouTube, and I'll probably just start a YouTube channel because of all the stories and all the things that I do and all the different guitar stuff that I do mm-hmm. now. 
um, probably do some studio things and start a YouTube channel like a lot of guys do. And you teach a little bit. You don't want a lot of a lot of. I would love to students, love but you'll te- but you yeah you will do that. I love teaching the people who are serious about yeah learning music or getting into music. Or do you teach guitar, piano, or whatever? All the above. All the above. Or recording if somebody needs recording help or you know show me how to record a guitar show me how to help me with this i've done that for you so this is great for people listening you want to have a tutorial and not be you know at a college campus if you will uh, joe is available to to work with you thank you so much for stopping by joe hand a a, let's give a let's give a hand let's give a hand I'm to joe so hand grateful. the mighty pan lewis I, I, um, uh, the honor is mine. The honor oh, I is absolutely that. mine. You're so sweet. <laughs> You're so sweet. You always make me smile. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming back to Music City. We've missed you. Thanks again. And we appreciate you listening to Applaudable Perspectives. Chance you came to me Fortune falling out of heaven Greatest pearl out of the sea By coincidence I found you Shiny diamond in the sand Way more than I imagined Far better than I could plan Once a million